0: Welcome back to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyola Law School Professor Jessica Levinson. I'm joined by our regular co-host, Joe Armstrong, also the show's producer. And today we're going to talk again about the Supreme Court and the breaking news that President Trump has nominated Judge Amy Coney Barrett to be the next justice of the Supreme Court. We're going to unpack that for you. Joe, thanks for joining us.
1: Hello, Jessica. Lovely to be here. And I want to first off say that you called it on the episode we did uh, when Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away just over a week ago. Uh, You kind of threw out into the ether right away that she was going to be the one that most likely would get the nomination. And here you are saying just that.
0: I do believe that President Trump will nominate someone to fill this position. I think it will be a young female jurist, probably Judge Amy Coney Barrett. And uh, it will be a woman who is already on the Court of Appeals, who's already been uh, vetted essentially by the conservative groups like the Federal Society, has a proven track record, and will be on the court again for decades to come. And I think that's how this is going to play out. Well, it wasn't because I was so ahead of popular opinion. It's because Judge Barrett was talked about for the position that Judge Brett Kavanaugh ended up filling, I think, about 18 months ago, about a year ago. And Judge Barrett has been talked about in conservative legal circles for a while now as a rising star. She um, was nominated for and confirmed for the Court of Appeals, the Circuit Court, in 2017. And there were articles, I was reading them last night, there were articles dating back to that time saying, well, when she's nominated for the Supreme Court, will her family move? Or when she's nominated for the Supreme Court, will this happen? How will it change You know, this issue or opinions in this area? So it's certainly not that I um, had some sort of prescience that was lacking. It's that a lot of people were, have been talking about her as a rising star for a while now.
1: And tell me why that is. I know that she clerked for Scalia. So, you know, he's a big figure in her legal life. And I also know that she shares uh, his penchant for textualism and originalism. Tell people what that is for people at home, the armchair Supreme Court uh, aficionados.
0: Yeah, so Judge Barrett clerked for Justice Scalia, who in some ways is really the kind of godfather of the idea that we should of textualism or originalism, which is the idea that we should look at a statute or the Constitution and not look at context and not look at how history might have changed our understanding, but just look at the words on the page and what was intended by those words at the time they were written. So you can think of the huge implications when it comes to, for instance, Second Amendment rights, where, you know, the people who wrote the Second Amendment simply couldn't envision all of the changing technology. Frankly, same thing with the First Amendment, where we have to adapt to changing behavior. But originalists and textualists say the only way to truly be a judge is not to infuse context, is not to infuse your own policy views, but just to look at those words on the page and that time in history. Now, many have really argued that this is just a way of getting to specific conclusions. And um, there's a hot legal debate about whether or not originalism is really a a True legal theory. And in fact, we have a past episode on this by somebody who, uh, Eric Siegel, who wrote a book called Originalism is Faith. And he basically tried to pull the curtains back and just said, this is just a outcome determinative way of making decisions.
1: You know, and I am not exactly what you would call a Supreme Court scholar, but I do study these things with regularity, and it seems a bit myopic to me, these concepts of textualism and originalism, and I wouldn't even almost call them legally Amish. It seems like the Amish picked an arbitrary point in history past which they do not use technology from there. I can speak just in terms of Second Amendment rights uh, when it comes to the types of weapons that were available when the framers of the Constitution put these things down in ink versus what's available to the consumer now. It seems like not updating the law to suit reality doesn't make sense.
0: Well, I think that originalists or textualists would argue that then the law really has no fixed meaning, that it's always just fluid. It's always just up to the whims of whatever judge is making the decision or whatever group of judges are making the decision. I I have to say, I fall much more in the camp of it's either called the living constitution or pragmatism or whatever you want to call it, which says you have to acknowledge changing circumstances, you have to acknowledge context, and we shouldn't view the words of people who wrote the Constitution and the amendments to the Constitution so many years ago as gospel. We should see it as our guiding force, but we should also allow for some flexibility again to acknowledge that we're different people, we live in a different society, but Justice Barrett, excuse me, Freudian Slip, future Justice Barrett likely does not hold that view. And again her former boss, Justice Antonin Scalia, really helped to usher in originalism or strict constructionism as a as as a mainstream view. But we should probably talk about how that could affect the hot-button issues that people care about when we talk about the Supreme Court.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, what are those issues? I know I mentioned gun control, but I'm sure there are some other ones as well. I mean, these are coming before the court again, and I'm sure they will before long.
0: Well, there's – before the court – election week, the day after the election, and I think the few days after the election, there's one big case dealing with uh, religious rights versus the rights of LGBTQ people. And specifically, actually, that case deals with whether or not a religious agency can say we're not placing foster children with same-sex couples, even though it goes against the law of that city. Then later... Um, I think it's about six days later, there's a case dealing with whether or not Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, is actually constitutional. So there's some huge cases pending before the court already. But look, when it comes to the Supreme Court, if there's one issue that people on both sides talk about, it's abortion. And I think that Judge Barrett has really made no bones about her view. It will be interesting to see what she says in the confirmation hearings, but we're also going to be looking at voting rights. You know, there's so many issues that are going to come before the court. You know, she's 48. She could be on the court for at least 30 years. Think about first amendment rights. Think about the rights of uh, criminal defendants. Think about the division of power between states and the federal government. You know, these are really important decisions for a reason because they impact our lives and she could have enormous sway over the face of uh the country, over the face of what our country looks like.
1: And now what about Amy Coney Barrett personally and professionally? What makes her suited for uh what makes her suited for the Supreme Court or not suited for the Supreme Court?
0: You know, it's interesting over the last few hours since the nomination was announced, I keep hearing Two words, which are, well, yes, she's qualified because she's a brilliant lawyer. And I would say, one, you know, we don't have a definition of what brilliant lawyer means, but by all accounts, she's a very bright person. And my guess is that it's something akin to the idea that she can read very complex cases or statutes or constitutional provisions and kind of break them down quickly, understand what they mean, and you know, talk about them in an organized and clear way, and then make an argument in an organized and clear way. So in terms of qualifications, you know, it, it really depends on what our definition of qualified is. If we're just looking at credentials, hers are absolutely sterling. And as a professor at Notre Dame Law School, she really gained praise from all of her colleagues, saying we might not agree with her, but she's an credible legal thinker, and she's a good person. Now, if we want to broaden out the definition of qualification, you know, we should ask, are you qualified, or maybe qualified's the wrong word, but, you know, are you appropriate for the Supreme Court if you will make decisions that will go a certain way with respect to reproductive choice, healthcare, LGBTQ rights, religious rights? So, you know the rights of asylum seekers, the rights of criminal defendants, under a narrow definition of qualifications. She's clearly so very well qualified. Again, she has an amazing resume. If we ask whether or not we want somebody to be on the Supreme Court who rule the, you know, in those ways, that's a different question.
1: Now, obviously, Amy Coney Barrett is a woman. Why is that important? And why do you think that Trump nominated a female potential justice now?
0: Well, I think it's important that Judge Barrett is a woman because this is now seen as a woman's seat, so to speak. So Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as you and I talked about on a special episode right after she passed away, was a trailblazer when it came to gender equality, and only the second woman on the United States Supreme Court in history. And I think people largely viewed this as a seat, again, that a woman should fill, But think back to the early 90s when Clarence Thomas replaced Thurgood Marshall. Now, these are two African-American men, but with diametrically opposed views. And I think that's what we're going to see here. Sure, it's a woman for a woman, but look at their judicial philosophy. Look at their legal ideology. So it shows us, again, that we make a mistake when we say, let's just pick a woman or let's just pick an African-American man. But I think President Trump rightly understood that there was going to be enormous pressure that he did need to pick a woman. And, you know, there are these memes going around that Justice Ginsburg opened all these doors for women and other minorities so that future Justice Barrett could just close them. I don't know if those are entirely fair. But I will say, these are two women with very, very different worldviews of how to interpret the law, and what outcomes uh, we will get as a result of those interpretations. And, you know, then, of course, as we've kind of mentioned with Judge Barrett, there's a lot of discussion of the fact that she's very religious. uh, She's of the Catholic faith. And, you know, my view of that is, we really should judge her on her record. We really should judge her on what is public. So she was a prolific writer as an academic. All of that is fair game. She's had decisions as a circuit court judge on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. All of that is fair game. But I think we kind of make a mistake when we judge too much of her personal life. Let's go with the record For me, the record is more than enough to make an assessment of her as a future Supreme Court justice.
1: The things that give me pause, and I agree with you on that, by the way, the things that give me pause having come out of the Catholic tradition uh, growing up when and where I did, the group that she's frequently associated with, or at least at one point was, people of praise, we're hearing a lot about them or that group. And this is a group that's uh, uh with what's called uh, charismatic Catholicism, which is a phrase uh it seems to be kind of borrowed from the evangelical tradition and the type of uh charismatic Catholic that this people of praise group is they are speaking in tongues going on there and this is a this is the new millennium it's twenty twenty now, and we're still dealing with uh well we're still some dealing is the right word, but there are religions that have speaking in tongues. It just seems a little bizarre to me, perhaps completely off topic and perhaps that's just me. So I will go on record as saying that's my reservation, not yours. Uh, But then moving on from here, let's talk about the timing a little bit. Uh, You know, we've got an election coming up. We've already talked about Mitch McConnell's hypocrisy on the show in terms of trying to see to justice during an election season or during an election year. Talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, in one of the videos, speaking of hypocrisy, one of the videos going around is actually of Judge Barrett when she was a Notre Dame professor in 2016 saying we shouldn't fill the Supreme Court vacancy that occurred when Justice Scalia, her former boss, passed away because this is an election year and the American people should decide who the next person to nominate the next supreme court justice will be it's really hard to look at that video and square what's happening right now now we've talked about this on a prior episode we talked about whether or not democrats will pack the court meaning try to increase the number of supreme court justices but The argument that Republicans are making is that previously there was a divided government. President Obama was a Democrat, Republicans controlled the Senate, that what's different now is that President Trump is a Republican and Republicans control the Senate. As I said before, this isn't tortured logic. This is just no logic at all. This is just hogwash. It makes no sense that that should affect our constitutional duties. And then, you know, if you look at, again, the timing, we're already Voting. This isn't an election year. We're in the election. Democracy is happening. And for Judge Barrett to be out there saying we need to wait nine and a half months, but then accepting the nomination now, I understand. I mean, what human would turn down a Supreme Court nomination? But it really does feel quite hypocritical. And I think probably with very little consequence. I mean, I think that. Uh, Republicans will be able to push through her nomination, and I think she will be on the court by Election Day.
1: Now, the Democrats don't have a lot of options here. I know that one of the more recent things was a call to have her recuse herself, given the election year circumstances or the fact that we are actually voting right now. But that, to me, seems like political suicide for a judge, even an impartial judge, for a conservative judge, to have the keys to the kingdom being dropped at your feet. Seems like that would be... (laughs) That would that would render her career kind of null and void.
0: Well, it would be really ridiculous for her to make any sort of promise. I mean, that would really call into question her integrity. And frankly, we're putting somebody on the court who we don't trust to make decisions about President Trump. And if she's on the court, she's going to have a lot of decisions to make that have huge political consequences for him if he's reelected. And You know, this idea that because she's just been put on the court, she would need to recuse for any litigation dealing with the election. You know, again, it's not going to happen. And it basically says, Justice Barrett, we don't trust you to do your job, which has much broader implications. And, Joe, let's be honest, Senator Mitch McConnell and the rest of the Republicans want her on that bench and want that six to three conservative majority before there is another potential Bush v. Gore.
1: Boy, they do. And the Democrats seem like they're sort of flailing with the concept of recusal. But do they have any other options whatsoever? We've talked before about packing the court. Do they have any other arrows in their quiver?
0: No, they don't. As I think I said before, there's no more dance moves left on the dance floor. At this point, it's really just political pressure. It's hoping that you can educate the voters, that you can move the needle when it comes to public pressure, that you can at least say to Senate Republicans, we have to wait on this vote until after the election. But I think there's no chance that happens. I think Senate Republicans know if Joe Biden wins and you wait until after the election in the lame duck session, I mean, that looks even worse than Joe Biden has been elected. And you're still letting President Trump, who's on his way out of the Oval Office, make the decision. And again, I don't think that Republicans in the Senate want to roll the dice with a court that has eight members and Chief Justice John Roberts being very clear that he cares about the Supreme Court as an institution, that he doesn't want to see it crater, and therefore he might not make a decision, you know, strictly along partisan lines.
1: And throughout this entire conversation, Jessica, the thing that keeps popping into my head is poor old Judge Merrick Garland, who was nominated by Barack Obama and got stymied by Mitch McConnell. I'm, I am imagining him sitting in some dank basement somewhere like Max Caddy from Cape Fear with Mitch McConnell's name tattooed on his knuckles doing push-ups somewhere <laughs> because he's the guy that got passed over and he's the guy that ultimately got shafted out of his Supreme Court seat. That's
0: a great image to end on because the rest of this was so freaking depressing. So thank you, Joe. Well, look, we should be honest. Depressing for me because I am a left of center legal thinker, or I would describe myself as center left. And if you are a social conservative, if you're an evangelical voter, you might have kind of, you know, turned the other way, put your earplugs in for a lot of what President Trump says. You don't like the way he conducts himself. But then you look at what he's done for the judiciary and what he's going to do for the Supreme Court. And you say, I got my money's worth. So for some people are absolutely celebrating today. And, you know, we, we should acknowledge that my personal bias is that my worldview is more akin to Justice Ginsburg, but that's certainly not the only legal perspective that people take. And again, Judge Barrett widely praised as very smart we shouldn't take anything away from her as a legal thinker the question is whether or not we want her to have so much power over her our lives and to have that position on the highest court in the land and i appreciate joe that you unpacked that with me. Thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for passing judgment with us, our regular co-host now. Uh, You can find Joe across social media at In Dep Day. You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica, the show on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, the show on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. Joe, we always say this, but we really mean it. Listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Go ahead and tweet me. We love your feedback. We want to hear what you think, what you'd like for us to cover, and we wish you a good week ahead.
1: And if you are a tried and true conservative, I imagine that getting a six to three majority on the Supreme Court is like Christmas times infinity. So congratulations to you folks.